Hello, WHCL 88.7, Clinton, New York. This is Finding Dodo, and I'm your host, Mian. So today's topic is really relevant to the founding of this show because if you see the designated post, like podcast poster artwork for this show, it's actually a picture of the dodo bird in Alice in Wonderland. And so for the first installment of this show, Chrissy, who was my co-host last semester, uh, Chrissy and I did the dodo bird and how it got wiped out from human encroachment in the span of, it was a really short span, like 60 years. That was an interesting episode, but the popularization of the dodo as this fantastical creature that doesn't exist anymore, I feel like some people still don't think it ever existed, um, is most aptly credited to Lewis Carroll. So the topic of today's show is Lewis Carroll. And he's, I'm to take off my jacket because it's really loud, <laughs> he's most well known for Alice in Wonderland, which spawned many popular Disney movies, which is probably how a lot of people know about the story today, but um, his main occupation wasn't even being a writer, and he was this very fascinating and multi-talented guy, so um, yeah, I'll be talking about him today. So Lewis Carroll was born as Charles Lutwig Dodgson on January 27th, 1832. And yeah, it's always weird when a person that you've always known famously as one name actually was called throughout their entire life by a different name and they're just remembered as this other name. Um, And it's like weird to imagine, I don't know, it just always throws me off a little bit, but I'll be calling him Dodgson today instead of kind of like what he's popularized as, as Lewis Carroll. So he came off from a pretty well, he came from a pretty well-off, well-established family at a small parsonage. He was born in a small parsonage in Cheshire, England, and at parsonages, if my Jane Austen reading is serving me well, the house that a member of the clergy is provided to live in with their family, and so his family had a long line of Charles Dodgson's dating back to his great-grandfather, Charles Dodgson, but there was also a long line of religious affiliation. So they were quite conservative and quite religious. His father, who was also Charles Dodson, was gifted in mathematics before he gave up academia to be a country parson. But that sort of foreshadows the talents of our own Lewis Carroll slash Charles Dodson. So his father actually married his first cousin. (laughs) So yeah, his parents were blood-related cousins, and an article was talking about how Dodgson slash Carol, um, he suffered from a stutter his entire life, and actually nine out of the 11 children in the family did as well, so probably not a healthy mix of genes to marry your cousin, and someone wrote that writing might have been a way to express himself eloquently on paper, which he couldn't do in person because of his stammer, uh, so that's nice, um, but it also seems that he was more self-conscious of his stammer and some people didn't notice it even and he had fine social skills so it didn't really hold him back in life but it was just kind of a part of him but yeah so Dodgson grew up in a huge family I said 11 kids which is so insane to think of today um that's so many people (laughs) it's like a a team um and yeah it sounds like a (laughs) nightmare to me but um I guess it was more common back then, and I mean, there's still some people that that's what they dream of today, I suppose, Um, and he lived under his conservative and opinionated father's household, and his father was really active and actively conservative in within his job um, in the church, 
and Dodgson was educated at home, which apparently was quite common at the time for a person of his social status, and he showed a precocious intellect from a very young age, so they have records of what he read throughout his years, and already by age seven, he was reading really advanced literary work, so very smart child. And he went to Richmond Grammar School at 12 years old, and then he attended rugby school, which is interesting because this school is actually interesting in and of itself it was it is actually one of the oldest independent schools in britain it was founded in 1567 and was the precursor to public schooling because it was free and available to um free of charge and it was also the birthplace of rugby like the sport so that's pretty cool but um dodgson was unhappy here because there was some bullying he himself wasn't bullied and apparently he was known for always stepping in to defend the smaller boys that were getting bullied but he didn't like that atmosphere and nevertheless he did really well in academics and the math teacher there said I have not had a more promising boy at his age since I came to rugby so yeah it just throughout his young life he was really smart and then I mean later on you'll kind of see like he he didn't coast through life but he was just like good at everything that he tried and he was a very talented and multi-talented person So after rugby, he went to the University of Oxford, but he had only been there for a couple of days when he received news that his mother had died at only the age of 47, and this was kind of unexpected. So he eventually returned to Oxford, though, and it seems like he was a really, again, he was a really smart person, but he was uncommitted, and he got first-class honors. Um, He was doing really well in mathematics, but then the next year he failed an important scholarship because he wasn't applying himself, and he got really mad at himself for not doing well and stuff, but he was just talented like he was just so interested in so many different directions and at that time apparently he was getting more into reading and sketching and he couldn't focus on his mathematics so yeah the struggle when you're talented and good at everything (laughs) I wish I could relate but yeah nevertheless he got the Christchurch mathematical lectureship so Christchurch is a part of Oxford and he remained there until his death for around 26 years so um yeah he was pretty much set for life and yeah, so I guess he didn't, he died quite early then, um, 26 years, and he was around 20-something when he got, so he died around the same age as his mother, I guess. Um, so now I'm going to go through his various pursuits because he had a lot of them. So I'm going to go through the primary ones, writing, religion, mathematics, and even photography he was really into. So starting with his most famous pursuit, writing. So Dodgson apparently wrote from a young age and entertained his family with his short stories and poems, which I feel like is a common sort of origin story for people that go on to become writers. And in the 1850s, so that would be in his 20s, some of his work actually got published in smaller magazines. And he first published under the name Lewis Carroll in 1856. So Lewis Carroll is actually a play on his first and middle name. Uh, You might remember it was Charles Lutwidge. So he flipped the two around and then translated them into Latin and then derived Lewis Carroll from that. So the most famous piece to come out of his literary pursuits is obviously Alice in Wonderland. That's how most people know him, and I think that's how everyone knows him, Um, and which is one of my favorite books of all time, actually, and I think what I love about it, it is it's similar to what I like about Holden Caulfield from The Catcher in the Rye, actually, which is Alice is so relatable and is um, 
kind of like the one sane person that you can relate to in the whole mess of Wonderland, but she's not boring at all. She's not like an everyday average Joe Schmo. Like she's very likable and she's a very special, unique personality and you notice throughout that she's always able to stand up for herself and I I was like thinking about the ending too, how meaningful it is where um the she she stands up to the Red Queen who's about to go around beheading people without due process of law and she's like no you can't do that and um yeah she's just like a likable fun little character and yeah it's like this quality of reflecting all of us but also being their own person that I think I really like in literary characters so anyways the um the origin of the Alice books because so there's I'm saying the Alice books because there's actually Alice in Wonderland but then there's the less famous Through the Looking Glass which is a really fun book too where Alice climbs through a mirror in her house and discovers this alternative world and it's not as iconic as Wonderland but um yeah I liked it cuz it was in a I read a book that had both of them in there together and and now when I look into puddles I'm always thinking about like reflections and like oh what if I could step through this reflection and alternate worlds and stuff like that so through the looking glass and it it apparently came from a conversation he had with someone about mirrors and he just wrote it up so anyways the Alice books are supposedly based on Alice Little that's the kind of popular myth surrounding the books and she was a young girl and a family friend of Dodgson's and um Yeah, although the poem at the end of Through the Looking Glass spells out her whole name, Alice Little, he denied that the actual character of Alice was specifically based on her. And this actually might be true since there are other cases where he used a family friend little girl's name to spell out an acrostic poem as a sort of dedication, not as a specific the character being based off of her even though they shared the name um but he was really close to the Liddell family and he met them through his uh work or job at the Christ Church in Oxford um and he became really personally close to them and the Alice series is originally based off of stories he used to tell the Liddell children so the story goes that one July day three Liddell children including Alice were on a boat trip and they asked him to tell a story and he kind of just made up a story about Alice going like falling through a a tree a tree what do you call it like a hole in into the underground and they were so delighted with this story that they asked him to write it down and especially Alice really liked it and she was the one who wanted him to have a copy she wanted to have a copy of it and um he did and it took him a while but he did write write it down sort of in this story format and a visitor of, and so he gave it to her, and then a visitor of the Liddell's novelist Henry Kingsley picked it up at their house, at the Liddell house, and he loved it and told um, the mother, Liddell, to, like, whoever wrote this, is this is really great, and um, and when Dodgson kind of heard that, and then he went to his friend, and who was also a children's books book writer, George MacDonald, for advice, and then MacDonald's kids loved the, the story, and so that kind of convinced him I should take this to a publisher, and the publisher liked it immediately, so <laughs> it's really, I'm telling you, like, he just is so, like, everything he touches turns to gold, basically. Um, it was really great, and everyone loved it, and it was published in 1865. Um, oh yeah, also interesting side note, so apparently the character of the dodo bird in Alice in Wonderland is a caricature of himself, which is so cool, because, I mean, this is dodo history, and we're talking about him, and the artwork is is the dodo bird and I didn't even know that like that 
is low-key the most important character because it's based off of him. Um, I mean, not the most important, but that's really interesting. And so, yeah, the first edition was actually withdrawn due to bad printing, and there is only 21 editions of that printing that still survive today, which I just know must be ridiculously expensive. But yeah, later that year is reprinted in the right format, and it wasn't a smash hit, but it was did respectably well. I couldn't really gauge, like there were different sources that said different things on this. Some were like, oh, it was an instant success, and some were like, oh, it did so poorly, but it seemed like it did generally, like it did okay, but not amazing. Um, and it was more one of those things that grows in popularity over time, and I think that's really true. It's still so popular today. And he wrote a sequel, so it was good enough where he wrote a sequel called Through the Looking Glass that I talked about, and that was published in 1871, so, oh, six years later. So yeah, quite a while later. And the look Through the Looking Glass was actually much more popular, which is interesting because it's not popular today, I feel like, as much. And 30 years later, after that, oh, wait, so how long did he live? But anyways, a while after that, he wrote two books about Sylvie and Bruno, two fairy siblings, and I had no idea that he wrote another book in addition to the Alice books. Um, and, and they were not very successful. They were critically and commercially much less successful. Um, and I someone wrote like they're the most interesting failure so I, I don't know it could be interesting to read still but um so I guess not everything he touches turns to gold but most of it does and so that's the literature part of him but his day job until his death even though he didn't profess to particularly love this job um maybe also because of his stutter but he his day job was teaching mathematics and if you look at his publications, it's funny because, like, there's Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass, and then there's, like, 30 mathematical papers that he published. So that was, like, really his, his real job, you could say, in a sense. And um, this is interesting, I think, because we usually see these as opposing things, like, are you a STEM person or are you a literature history person but he clearly excelled at both and even interconnected them and there are interpretations of Alice in Wonderland from a more mathematical perspective about how his his writing in Alice talks about different infinities and logical reasoning and sort of like wordplay and stuff like that um and he didn't produce any revelatory findings in mathematics but he did teach it at one of the most prestigious universities in the world for decades so i would say that's an accomplishment in the math department and um and and apparently he was like a very engaging sort of his questions in mathematics he would do sort of like fun word problems for his students and make it really engaging um yeah but Dodgson was also so this is the third thing he was also really into photography and he was even apparently considering making this his job um and which is why there are actually so many photographs of him a lot of them are self-portraits and photography had actually just been invented a couple decades earlier when he got into it. And the first photograph ever was taken only five years before he was born. Um, but yeah, in case it wasn't clear already, like he grew up quite privileged and became a well-known gentleman photographer. So he had access to these sort of things. But he also deserves credit because he was one of the first to recognize photographs as an artistic medium 
in and of itself, and he took it seriously with a sort of mathematical exactness and aesthetics. And back then, taking photos was a lot more complicated than today, where you just sort of like whip out your phone. If you think about it, like that's so insane that you can just whip out this little device and it captures what you're seeing in front of you, the raw world that you're seeing in front of you. But um, back then it was a lot more complicated and Dodgson used, it's called the collodion process and an article from the New Yorker was describes it, quote, the photographer had to prepare each plate with a series of chemicals, calculate the exposure time and then develop the f- images on the spot. A miscalculation or a slip of the hand at any stage would ruin the image, end quote. And um, how just the slightest movement of the subject could really ruin the whole thing. So you had to be much... And apparently later he he just gave up photography because there there was this technological advancement that made it really easy to do. And he was like, oh, now it's easy. Anyone can do it. So I'm just like not as into it anymore. (laughs) And... um, He had a really diverse range of subjects for photography, including really famous people such as the poet Alfred Tennyson, Lord Salisbury, scientist Michael Faraday, and fellow photographer Julia Margaret Cameron. But a majority of his photos are of young girls, including Alice Liddell. And here I'm going to dip a little bit into the controversy surrounding this guy. So he's just like so good at everything he does. But if I were to name like one sort of dark area it would be this controversy about um whether he was into young girls or not so I feel like on one side I've seen a lot of clickbaity stuff like oh Lewis Carroll the guy that wrote those famous children's books was actually a pedophile and and you know people are wowed by that sort of headline but so I'm not going to pass judgment but I'll present the facts as best as I can so apparently his pictures were taken with a parent always in attendance, but then I know that that didn't always happen. Um, at least, like, he knew that it was sort of a sketchy thing that he was doing, and and when he wanted to, apparently one time there was a story where he wanted to photograph this daughter, and then the mother found out that he did nudes, and he was like, oh, don't worry, I won't do it with your daughter. So it's like, he knew that it wasn't societally normal, um, and yeah also uh, yeah so that's the real issue is like not that he did photographs of girls so much as he did some of them like nude or semi-nude there's really only a few of them most of them are just girls in costumes and doing play play sort of things but um some biographers maintain that his relationships with them were innocent and partly because he was sort of this shy meticulous like nice but reserved sort of guy that he really bonded best with children and so he had this sort of just really innocent otherworldly relationship with them which I think is supported by Alice in Wonderland because you see he's really delving into the world of a young girl and he depicts it so like accurately in a way how like childish imagination and naivety and stuff like that um but there are also some people that um, say that when he suddenly stopped his pursuit of photography, it was because it revealed the guilt that he felt. And but I know there is there's one thing that is a misinterpretation is that he was only into young girls. And this is funny because it's actually his family to preserve his reputation. They hid the relationships 
that he had with adult women that were revealed in his letters and diaries and they tried to hide that part of him but that obviously really backfired because then now people are talking about like oh he never had an interest in adult women so it must have been like a pedophile thing and so that really backfired but um he did have relationships with adult women and stuff like that so yeah and there don't seem to be any girls that came forward as having been abused in any way and he he photographed a lot of other unconventional things like skeletons and stuff like that so I don't really know I don't want to pass judgment on this um he's I mean he wrote Alice in Wonderland he's obviously like a really weird sort of person so I I don't know I'm leaning more towards he didn't but I don't want to assume anything so yeah that's up to the listener that's up to you but um And the last side I want to touch on is the really religious side of him, which I guess is funny after talking about the last side, but um, he was quite conservative, and he was the member of the Church of England, and he was ordained a deacon in the Church of England in 1861, and his diaries reveal he had a real earnest faith in religion, and he really believed in God, and he wrote a lot about his his faith and his um, piety and stuff um, in his diary, so it seems pretty legit. And, yeah, so that was Lewis Carroll. Oh, that was such a quick episode. Wow, 20 minutes. Um, Yeah, he was facing, so, yeah, his death, he was facing health issues such as migraines and seizures in the 1880s, and he died January 4th, 1898, so almost at the turn of the century. And he was, I think, a really talented guy and basically good at anything he tried his hand at, um, whether it be drawing, art, photography, mathematics, um, religion. I'm not sure if that's like a skill that one earns, but uh, that one develops. But yeah, across a really wide spectrum of disciplines, he even, it was one thing, like he even was interested in like vivisection and animal welfare in that aspect and also uh, psychiatry, so he, he was just a very curious, curious guy, and um, he was much more than Alice in Wonderland, but that wasn't, writing wasn't even his primary job, but I think it certainly is a great achievement that he wrote that, and it's his most lasting one, and I think it's it's a little bit like, I feel like most people know Alice in Wonderland. I know there was a Disney animation movie, and I know there was also... Um, uh, like a Tim Burton movie, I think, more recently, and that's how people know about Alice in Wonderland, but I really think there's nothing that can replace the experience of actually reading the book, and it's it's actually really fun to read the book, even if you know the sort of classic characters in it. Um, it's really fun to read them in the original form that they were conceived in, and it's such a fun, it's such a short little book, but it's so fun, and it's, it, um, it's like really about childhood and childhood imagination but then people reading it are probably not children they're adults or teenagers so I think it kind of lets you get back into that mindset so yeah it's a really fun book and I urge everyone to read it if they have time um so yeah that's this week's episode thank you for listening